Well, amen. Thank you so much for that, young people. That was a blessing. If that's the, if that's the sophomore ensemble, I'd love to hear the junior and senior ensembles. My soul, that was fantastic. The music, of course, plays such a role uh, in the work of the Lord. I was just preaching to our church family in Colossians chapter number 3, where the Bible talks about speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing in your heart with grace unto the Lord. And uh, those of you, of course, many of you preparing your lives for ministry, and uh, that sort of thing, as far as music is concerned, plays just such a great role in all of that. Uh, some folks are gifted in that area. I am not, and so I'm going to get right to preaching this morning. Uh, let's take our Bibles, if we can, and let's go to the book of Ruth, chapter number 2, please. The second chapter in the book of Ruth is where we'll find our text this morning. And I do want to take this opportunity to thank um, the um, folks here at West Coast Baptist College who have invited us to come. It's always a privilege and opportunity. Uh, I obviously, uh, it was about 20-some years ago, I was in Bible college, and I so well remember the chapel services, and now they have the opportunity to stand and to preach in some of these uh, chapel services. The Lord gives us opportunity. It's such an honor and uh, such a, a privilege for us. And so thank you, uh, West Coast administration and those who uh, have uh, given us this opportunity. Responsibility is a blessing for me to have my daughter with me. Uh, on this particular trip, and uh, she is uh, coming to the point in which she's praying about uh, college and where the Lord would have her to go, and you uh, pray for her that the Lord would give her wisdom as she makes uh, those decisions. We certainly uh, want what the Lord wants for her. That's the most important thing in all of these things. It's great to have a couple of our young people that are here with us today as well, one who's a student here, uh, Jason, who many of you perhaps know, and then, of course, Amber, as Brother Getch mentioned a moment ago. And I do want to thank you also for allowing uh, Brother Getch to travel some. Just last week, he was with us at the Cleveland Baptist Church and to preach a revival meeting. God met with us in a great way and heard so many wonderful things from our people. And uh, I know the work that the Lord did in my heart as well. And so I want to thank you for allowing him to, uh, to travel some and minister to other churches, even during the school year uh, when you folks are meeting out here uh, and doing different things out here. He uh, gives an opportunity to minister, and we're certainly grateful for that. We're in Ruth chapter number 2. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 3 of this particular a chapter, and of course, a, a familiar passage of Scripture, the book of Ruth, just four uh, short chapters. But I want you to notice a few things with us here today. The Bible says in verse number one, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may want to mark the phrase that's found in verse number three, circle it, underline it, however you may wish to do, where the Bible says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. At the time that I have this morning, I'd like to preach you a message that I've entitled, It Just So Happens. It Just So Happens. Probably two months or so ago, I was in a brief meeting with someone that I grew up with, a friend of mine who had moved away but was back in town for a, just a short period of time. And as I was talking to him, it came up in conversation that his father-in-law uh, was in a local hospital there in the city of Cleveland, and he was battling with pancreatic cancer. 
uh, we discussed this man just a little bit, and I learned that he was a lost man. He was unsaved. He did not know Christ as his Savior. And I said, listen, I said, if you would be okay with it, we would be honored to send someone by to see him while he's in the hospital. And it may be that the Lord gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he said, let me talk it over with my wife, and I'll get back to you. On the very same day, he texted me, maybe just a couple of hours removed from that particular conversation. He said, listen, I talked it over with my wife, and she has agreed that you can go by and, and, uh, and, and, or send someone by to see him and uh, uh, try to share the gospel with him as he deals with this pancreatic cancer. I said, well, uh, we'd be happy to do that. I said, you're just, uh, you're, 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 your day could not have been any more blessed. I said, on our staff, I don't know of a better soul winner than the man that is assigned this particular day to go in to visit the hospitals. And I said, I'll reach out to him and we'll make sure that somebody goes by and someone sees your father-in-law. And so I reached out to the man who serves on our staff and I said, listen, here's the situation. Uh, here's the hospital this gentleman is in. And, and if you wouldn't mind going by and seeing him, he's dealing with pancreatic cancer. And of course, uh, that, that very term, that uh, very diagnosis strikes fear in, in most hearts. And so he said, I'll make sure I go by there today. A little bit later in that day, he gave me a, he gave me a phone call. And he said, hey, I just wanted to give you an update. He said, I went by to see the man that you requested that I go by and see. And, and he said, you know, you're, you're not going to believe this, but he said, literally 10 minutes before I arrived, the doctor was in this man's room. And the doctor had not come to share good news, but rather he had come to share bad news. The, the doctor had said to, 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 to the soul winner from our church just before he arrived, 10 minutes before he arrived to share the gospel with him, the doctor had told him, hey, listen, bad news, you have stage four pancreatic cancer. A stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis is get your affairs in order. More often than not, prepare to meet thy God. Now you tell me, what are the chances? What are the chances that on the day that God orchestrated all of those events, that that man was going to walk into that hospital room 10 minutes after a lost man receives a diagnosis that he's more than likely going to go out into eternity in a very short amount of time? It just, it just sort of happened that the doctor came and gave that news before the soul winner came. There's a happy ending to the story, at least as it relates to the man's soul, because after the soul winner came, he bowed his head and he trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. It just so happens. I, I find the, uh, the text here that gives, us, uh, that gives us this idea that Ruth, on this sort of this first day in which she's, she's going out to glean there in the fields of Bethlehem in a new country, in a new uh, place, the Bible says that, that, that her hap was to light on a part or to land on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. The word that we often use in our culture, in our day and age, is the word coincidence. A coincidence is defined as the, the falling or meeting of two or more lines, surfaces, or bodies at the same point. As some might say about a coincidence that it just sort of happened this, this particular way. Uh, and in some respects, I, I love the, uh, the, the, the Bible as it's written here because it describes this particular event sort of this way in Ruth's life, that, that, that from a human fleshly vantage point or perspective, you know, Ruth goes out one day and 
And well, look, look at that. She just sort of lucked out into, uh, into landing in Boaz's field. Who could have ever imagined that it would have worked out this way? And the, and the, and the writer of Scripture, of course, inspired by the Holy Ghost, causes us to, to sort of look at it from that perspective. But you know as well as I do that this was no coincidence. This was no chance of uh, luck or good fortune. No, listen, this was providentially directed and guided by God Almighty for Ruth to land in this particular field on this particular day. Recently, I was listening to a younger married couple tell the story about how they met. Uh, he, this man told me that he was attending a, a large college in which, um, in which the campus was so large that it was necessary to take to take transportation from one end of campus to the other. So in other words, as, as you would get out of class, maybe your next class would be you know, at the other end of campus and there's no way that you could get there by walking. Uh, and, and so it was, it was a whole lot easier just to hop on some type of a bus and to go to that, uh, to, to, to go to that end of the campus using, using that type of transportation. And so one day after a particular class that this young man was in as a young uh, student in college, he, he got out of the class and he walked down to the street and perhaps wasn't paying attention. Maybe he was on his cell phone. I don't know all of the details. But that day he inadvertently got on the wrong bus. And he's riding this bus and he's thinking I'm heading to this location, but he's really not heading to the location he thinks he's heading to. He's going somewhere completely different. However, it just so happened that on that particular bus that day was a young lady that he had never met before and likely would never have met had he gotten on the right bus that he was supposed to ride on. He told me with a grin on his face that he missed his next class that day. However, that was a small price to pay to meet the woman who would later become his wife, ministry partner, and the mother of his children. Now, when we're telling a story like that, uh, you, would, you would tell a story like that, and someone who's looking at it from a fleshly perspective or vantage point would say something like, wow, what are the chances? That's so cool. Man, what a coincidence. Boy, boy, you were really lucky that day, weren't you? But you and I know, don't we? It's Bible college students, as pastors, as Christians, Bible-believing people. Listen, th those, aren't, those aren't just random strokes of luck. God's at play in those things, isn't he? We would agree with that. We would believe that God is doing something along these lines. Ruth experiences in our text a similar set of circumstances. We discover as we look at the book of Ruth and we look at her life, several things that, that from a human perspective just sort of happen when we live a certain way and when we adhere to certain values and certain principles. And I want us to discover, as, as uh, Ruth discovered in our text, that there, these are not so much coincidences as they are providential moments that are designed and divined by God himself. In other words, as you look at your life and as you look at where you're going and you're wondering, how am I ever going to get there? It can be a little overwhelming, can it? Some of you, perhaps, you're just getting started in your college career, and so there's still a lot of the story to be written. Others of you, perhaps, maybe you are finishing your final year, and there's still some very, very certain and very big unknowns in your life. Things like, where do I go next? Who am I going to marry? What does God want me to do? 
Maybe you're a senior and some of those things have not quite fallen in place just yet. And I want you to be encouraged as we consider the life of Ruth. Some of the things that unfolded in her life as we consider this particular thought, it just so happens. Let me share with you three thoughts from this particular, uh, from this particular book that I think will be an encouragement and help to you in your Bible college journey. Can I say, number one, that it just so happens that they who follow God are led by God. It just so happens that those who determine to follow God in their daily lives will be led by God. The Bible, of course, tells us that Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites were descendants of Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. We learn of that in Genesis chapter number 19 and verse number 37. The Moabites grew to be enemies of the children of Israel, even going so far as to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites in Numbers chapter number 22. Ruth was born into this nationality and into this culture, and no doubt she would not have grown up uh, in, in this land hearing anything positive about Jehovah God or about the neighboring children of Israel who lived in many respects just to the west of her and her people. These were not friendly with God's people and would not have worshiped in any way, shape, or form the God of the Israelites. And yet everything changed for Ruth when she met a certain family that was coming to sojourn in the land of Moab during a certain trial that had visited the land of Israel. Ruth uh, marries one of the boys, and of course we know the story. The son dies. We don't know the circumstances surrounding his death, but that he died. And, and, and when her mother-in-law, this woman by the name of Naomi, says, hey, listen, I need to go back home. I need to go back to my people. I have nothing really left here. My husband and my sons have died. It's at that point that Ruth decides to commit her life to follow Naomi back to Judah, but she makes even a greater commitment and a greater decision in this moment. She says, listen, I don't want to just follow you, Naomi, but she determines that she is also going to follow by faith the God of Naomi. The Bible tells us in verse number 15 of chapter number one, and she said, behold, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Naomi says, don't come with me. Uh, you, you, there's, nothing, there's nothing in Israel for you. I have nothing to give you. I can provide nothing for you. But notice Ruth, her determination, steadfastness in verse number 16. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And here's the key phrase. And thy God, my God. At this point, Ruth determines... I'm done, I'm done worshiping the way of the Moabite. I am now going to begin to worship the God of the Hebrews. I am going to worship Jehovah God. She takes on in this moment more than just a new citizenship, a new culture, a new language, a new physical address. Oh, she takes on a new identity as a follower and as a child of Almighty God. And can I say, listen, she does this by choice and she does not do this by birth. She's going to discover very soon very soon, in fact, in the very next chapter, as she just lands in the nation of Israel, she is going to discover that there are blessings that are reserved for those who determine to follow Almighty God. Because those who follow God 
discover that it just so happens that they're led by God. And that God leads them to where he would have them to go. Ruth's great-grandson, you know him better as King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he would write in Psalm 27, 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. He would also write in Psalm 23 in verse number two, uh, a psalm that the young people sang just a moment ago. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Eleazar, a character in the Old Testament, Abraham's chief servant or steward had a similar experience, didn't he? When he was sent to find a bride for his master's son, a young man by the name of Isaac. In Genesis 24 and verse number 27, after meeting Rebekah, Eleazar praises and blesses the Lord, who so clearly orchestrated this particular encounter. And in this blessing, listen to what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Let me ask this question, are you following God today? You say, well, I'm, I'm in Bible college, aren't I? I know, I know probably as well as anyone that it's possible to be in Bible college and not to truly be following God. It's possible to be in an environment like this in which it looks like you're following God. But you know as well as I do that perhaps maybe there are elements of this book that you're not necessarily adhering to. There are things that you know God would have you to do or things that you know God would want you to be that you have not yet committed your way to. Are you following God? If you follow him with a pure heart, I believe, I believe that he will lead you and guide you clearly and in a plain path in response to David's prayer. Ruth began her journey toward God, and it is not at all surprising that shortly thereafter, perhaps just a few days, right after she said, listen, your God is going to be my God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow you. It's not surprising at all that God leads her right into Boaz's field where she is going to meet a man that would change her life, and together God would use them in the lives of countless others to impact them as well. Many wish for God to lead them and bless them, absent them following him closely. I was a youth pastor for 14 years, and I, I worked with many young people who really weren't all that interested in following God in their daily life, where they were at that point in time. But, but as they got closer and closer to graduation from high school, they would start to really begin to panic and really begin to worry. And they'd come to me and they'd say, Pastor Pete, how do I know where I'm supposed to go to college? And how do I know what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life? And how do I know who I'm going to marry? And I'm sitting here saying, had you been following God all along, these decisions probably would have been a whole lot easier for you. Because it just so happens that those who follow God will be led by God. Can I say that God is under no obligation to lead or bless those who do not follow him or do not follow his ways? However, for those who will follow the Lord, they will discover that it just so happens that he will be more than willing to lead them on into their future. It just so happens that those who follow God are led by him. But notice, secondly, it also just so happens that they who give themselves to an industrial spirit enjoy success and blessing. It just so happens that they who give themselves to an industrial spirit 
will enjoy success and blessing. In verses 4 to 9, we're given a little bit of a background or information as it relates to this field that Ruth lands on in this particular day. And we discover the two main characters in this particular story, their, their work ethic and, and, and their character sort of is, is brought to the surface and, and we're sort of able to, to see it a little bit more clearly and a, and, a, and a little bit better. And we're introduced to this character by the name of Boaz and we discover that he is an incredibly successful man. The Bible tells us in verse number one, verse, verse number one that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. And many folks, when they read something like that, they think to themselves something like this, wow, sure would be nice. Sure would be nice. I, uh, every time I come out this way, I, uh, I, I, I usually fly into Los Angeles, and of course you <clears throat> sometimes spend a little bit of time in, in that area. My daughter and I were able to do that over the last couple of days, spend some time in the greater Los Angeles area. And we drove through um, near, I should say, we drove near some of the what we would consider to be some of the more wealthy, wealthy neighborhoods. And, uh, and I often find myself sort of buying almost into the philosophy of the world as I drive through those neighborhoods. Wow, must be nice. Must be nice to live in a house like that. Must be nice to drive a vehicle like that. I mean, I, I'm driving a minivan, you know. Must be nice to have a luxury car, or to have a sports car like that to drive around. Must be nice to be able to shop in those stores and to eat in those restaurants and to live in those neighborhoods and have those kinds of houses and, and all of the things that go with it. As, as, if, as if sort of the, the people that live in those places and that enjoy those things, they just sort of the, you know, it's just the random luck of the draw. They just woke up one day and they were living in a neighborhood like Beverly Hills and they were driving a beautiful car that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, we understand. We understand more often than not that there's a whole lot of work and effort that goes into something like that. I mean, we only have to look at our character Boaz here in this story to discover some reasons as to why Boaz seems to be most successful. We find that Boaz is a, seems to be a business owner of some sort. Uh, he, he has some type of enterprise in which he's making money. He is a mighty man of wealth. And as we study his life, and as we study some of the uh, virtues that are, that are found that are given to us in Scripture about him, it's not very hard for us to see why. I want you to notice some things with me about Boaz that seems to uh, make him a very successful person. Notice, notice that he is careful to inspect his reapers. Would you look in verse number four of Ruth chapter number two? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. So obviously Boaz is a man who lives in Bethlehem. Perhaps if they had these types of things back in that day, his office is in Bethlehem. But when it's the time of the reaping of the barley harvest, <clears throat> Boaz doesn't stay in his office. He does not stay in the city of Bethlehem, but rather he leaves Bethlehem and he makes his way to his fields where his fields are. And he begins to inspect his reapers to make sure that they're doing the job that he has hired them to do in his fields. He inspects his reapers. But notice not only that, but we find that he also has a good relationship with his people. The Bible says that as he arrives there, he greets them, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. 
There seems to be a camaraderie that exists between him and his, uh, and, and his employees that when he comes around, they're not, uh, they're not trying to get away from him. They're not trying uh, to avoid him, that he does not speak harshly to them or unkind to them or cruelly to them, but rather he speaks to them in a very favorable way that he actually blesses them, and in return, they bless him as well. We find that he is observant as a business owner as a successful man, look in verse number five, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? He comes out of Bethlehem and he arrives at his field. He's looking around. He's observing. He's, he's uh, inspecting his reapers. He is, he is developing and building and growing this positive relationship between one another. And all of a sudden he sees someone that he doesn't recognize. Instead of Instead of just, you know, ignoring her and moving on with his life and just thinking, well, she's just one of the new hires. No, no, he wants to find out a little bit more about her. And he inquires, whose damsel is this? Sometimes those that are in high positions of leadership or authority, they're sometimes accused of, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm never seen by this person. This person doesn't even know that I exist. But I would say to you that my experience is that most people that are extremely successful, they notice everything. They notice everything. And he's looking around. He says, I see someone here that I've never seen before. Who is this person where did she come from? He's observant. And I would say that that's something that is really helpful when it, when it comes to being successful. And then notice, fourthly, he creates a good environment for his reapers or for his employees. Look in verses 8 and 9. The Bible says there, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. You know, I've discovered, I've discovered that successful people, they, they, they look after and they care for the details. You say, what's the significance of all of this? I, I don't suppose that too many people in this room are going to be major business owners someday. No, you may not be a business owner. You may just be a pastor. Don't you suppose that some of these principles may apply to pastoring? Being among your people and not just hanging out in an office somewhere? Making, a, making the church house and making serving the Lord, making it a good environment for the people who are serving with you and serving under you that you've been given the oversight of. Taking notice of new people and seeing them and, and, and inquiring, trying to get to know them better and trying to develop a better relationship. Don't you suppose that some of the things that we glean from the life of Boaz could be a real help to us in the ministry? You see, some, some perhaps you, you sit and you sit in a chapel service like this and, and you see maybe preachers come through or maybe you even look at some of the leadership and that sort of thing that the Lord has blessed you with here and you think to yourself, wow, it must be nice. It must be nice to have an office. It must be nice to, you know, to, to have a job where you're, 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 you're given to preaching God's word. It must be nice to have a, a large ministry with lots of people. No, understand this, listen, those things don't just happen. Those things, listen, those things happen when someone commits themselves and they give themselves to the Lord and to his work and they decide, I'm going to follow you, God, wherever you lead me, and I'm going to give myself to an industrial spirit. Perhaps maybe you're a little like me. When I was a young boy, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was really not all that interested in working hard as it relates to my schoolwork. 
This is an appropriate place, I suppose, to have this conversation because this is a school, isn't it? And so I can remember, I can remember fourth, fifth, and sixth grade coming home from school, my parents saying, hey, do you have any homework? And me saying, no, I don't have any homework, when all the while I did have homework, but my, 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 my homework was to shoot some hoops in the backyard <laughs> or to play catch with my brothers or to play Nintendo video games with my, you know, my brothers or with my friends and, and, or to ride my bike or to do whatever it was that I wanted to do. That was my version of homework and ignoring my studies and ignoring the homework that I actually had. And I can remember going into school on several occasions. And I, I, was, I was, not only was I a lazy young man, but I was a man of incredible faith. You say, what do you mean by that? I, I, I would sit in class and I remember the teacher would say, okay, boys and girls, put all of your things away. It's time to take your science test. Yeah, that science test that I was supposed to have studied for the day before, you know, the one that I told my parents, no homework. <laughs> yeah, that science test. And I can remember sitting at my desk. I can remember bowing my head very quickly and praying a prayer something like this. Lord, help me to recall the things that I did not study. The things that I was taught in this classroom, may they magically reappear in my brain. And may I remember those things, uh, and, 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 and that would be my prayer. Do you, know that, do you know that the Lord's answered a lot of my prayers, but he never answered that one? <laughs> Not in a positive or an affirmative way, ever, ever. So that would lead me to a second prayer. I would receive the test, and I would, I would, I would write down the things that I uh, that, I, that I thought I knew, and, and then the things that I, I didn't know, I would maybe just fill in the blank with something, or sometimes I would leave something blank. And, and then, I would, then I would pray after I'd submitted the test, and, uh, and I, would, I would pray, Lord, uh, Lord, I, I believe that you, you took five loaves of bread and two small fish, and you broke those things, and you made them a, a, something that they were not. Lord, would you, would you somehow, some way, would you fill in those blanks for me? Believing, believing as a, man of young, a young man of great faith that God was more than capable of filling in those blanks for me. Once again, he never, he never answered that prayer, which would lead to a third prayer. My third prayer would go something like this. Lord, um, I, uh, I've received this test back, and there's a whole lot more red on here than there is anything else. <laughs> Lots of X's, and, and there's a, uh, there's a poor, poor, grade up here at the top that indicates, you know, that I did not pass. And, and then there's a, little, there's a little note at the bottom that tells me that I have to take this test home and give it to my parents. They're supposed to sign it, and then I have to return it. And Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deposit this in my, my book bag, and I'm going to pray that, Lord, you would do away with all of those red marks, and that you would do away with that note that I'm supposed to sign and return, and, and that when I, when, I, when I hand it into my parents for them to see it, that it's magically going to say 100% that I, I mean, literally, these crazy thoughts would go through my mind that God could do this sort of thing as a young man of incredible faith, never one time did anything like that happen. You know what I had to learn as a young boy? I had to learn as a young boy that if I, if I wanted to succeed, I had to work at it. There, there, is, no, there is no success apart from, apart from hard work and effort, an industrial spirit. And some of you, you want to graduate from Bible college and you want to land on your feet in some incredible ministry. And you want for people to look at you as a leader and as an influencer and in a Baptist church or in a Christian school somewhere, and yet, and yet you want to you give very little effort while you're in Bible college. Can I tell you, it doesn't work that way, period. If you want to be a success and if you want to enjoy blessing in your life, it only comes, listen, it only comes at the feet of hard work and effort, of an industrial spirit. 
You see, we're living in a day and age, we're living in a culture that wants to talk a lot about equity and we want to just kind of even the playing field. We want to make sure everybody has the same thing. But what they don't understand, they don't understand the fact that, listen, Elimelech, excuse me, Boaz was a man of exceeding wealth. He was a mighty man of wealth. And as we read his story, it's not very hard to figure out why. Boaz worked really hard. Boaz knew some things about business and about industry and he knew that in order to make some money and in order to be successful, I have to be present. I have to be visible. I have to cultivate and develop a great relationship with the people that are under me. I've got to put the time in. And can I say that the same thing is true as it relates to ministry? But you know, Boaz isn't the only hard worker in our story. No, we're introduced to a, a woman by the name of Ruth. And Ruth also is someone with an outstanding work ethic. Do you notice in verse number six, the Bible says, and the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. The, the lead servant here, he says to Boaz, he says, well, let me tell you about this woman. This is that same woman that maybe we've, we've heard about. She came back with Naomi. She had married one of Naomi's sons, and we, we know the story that unfolded there, and, and she came back, and, and, uh, and boy, she, she landed in our field this morning, and except for the early morning hours in which we were all kind of getting our assignments and figuring out where we were going and what we were doing, she has been out in that field all day gleaning with your reapers. When Ruth landed there in Bethlehem, you find that she initiates what's going to happen next. She comes, to, she comes to, um, to Naomi and she says, Naomi, uh, if it's okay with you, I, I, I'm the younger one here and, and I still, you know, though I'm a woman, I still have the ability to go out and to make a living and, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm more than willing to go out. How do you suppose I ought to go about this? In other words, she's not content just to sit around and hope that somebody else is going to take care of her. She understands and she recognizes, listen, if we're going to make it, if me and my mother-in-law are going to make it in this new land, there is no such thing as, you know, uh, government assistance. There are no such things as, you know, other people looking out for us. If we're going to make it, I'm going to have to give myself to hard work and effort. And her hard work and her diligence is rewarded with blessing. When Boaz says to her in verse number eight, he says, listen, go, don't, don't, don't go and glean in other fields. You stay right here. You have a home here. You have job security here. He promises her protection from harassment in the workplace because she works so hard and because he finds that she's valuable there in his field. And he guarantees that he will do what he can to make what was no doubt a miserable work environment, a miserable job, less miserable with, with breaks and fresh water to stave off the effects of the Middle Eastern heat. I guess what I'm trying to share with you here this morning is this, that many want success and many want blessing all while sitting in their lazy boy recliner and hardly ever leaving their home. Never getting up off of their seat and going out to work hard and to be diligent. Many, perhaps, maybe even some in this room, uh, want to, uh, to be recognized at West Coast Baptist College, and, and you want to you know, you graduate with honors someday, and you want uh, for a pastor to say, hey, listen, we'd love to have you come, and for you to serve with us, and, and, uh, and boy, we, we'd, we'd love to have you as part of our team at our particular church, and you want all of those things to happen. And can I say that if you want those things to happen, you better give yourself to an industrial spirit, because it just so happens... <laughs> Those who work hard 
Those who give themselves to an industrial spirit, they are blessed, exceedingly blessed by God, and they find success in their lives. Can I say thirdly and finally here this morning, that we discover in our text it just so happens that those who sow kindness reap kindness. In verse number 10, the Bible says that Ruth fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? You can understand why Ruth is so taken aback by all of this. She's a Moabite. She's the enemy. And, and, and here she is. She's in the nation of Israel, and the first boss that she has is telling her, listen, you found a home here. You, you, are, uh, you, you, you work here, and I'll take care of you. Your needs will be met. Don't, don't look to glean in any other field. We'll give you fresh water to drink throughout the day. And it's going to be hard work, but so long as, so long as you, you're here every day and, and you do your thing, we're going, to, we're going to take care of you. She's blown away by this. Notice verse number 11, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense or reward thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. You know what Boaz says? Boaz says, listen, listen, I know, I know where you come from. I know what you've given up. I know what you've committed yourself to. You have showed such kindness to Naomi that you would be willing to leave your home behind and your life behind and your family behind, that you would be willing to come here and uh, try to assimilate into our culture. Oh, the Lord bless you. The Lord reward you for your kindness, for your sacrifice, for your willingness to go this far to show kindness to Naomi. You know what I've discovered in life? I've discovered that those who are kind to others, you know what they find? They find that many times others show kindness back to them. It's the principle that we know of in the Bible. Surely you know it as a Bible college student. It's called sowing and reaping. It's a principle that's found all throughout Scripture. And here's what we find in our text. We find that what happened on this day wasn't a coincidence. None of this was coincidental. None of this was, was luck or good fortune or whatever word we might use or our culture might use. No, 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 listen, God was at work in all of these things. As a young person, prepare your, preparing your life for service. Say, how do, I, how do I get from point A to point B? Now, Pastor Pete, how do, I, how do I get from where I am in Bible college to someday serving in a church and, 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 and doing it for decades and, 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 and trying to you know, keep my life on track and fi- trying to marry well and raise my kids well and, and have any, any sort of whatever we might call success, or that might not even be a word that we like to use, any type of success. How do I get there? I would tell you, follow God closely. Follow God really closely, as closely as you possibly can. How do I do that? Read this book daily. Live by it. Spend time with God in prayer. Allow Him to make the major decisions of your life. Because it just so happens that those who follow God are led by Him. How do I, how do I get there? Work really, really hard. Work really hard. 
Don't, don't, just, don't just pray on a, uh, over an event or over something that you have planned but not work at it. No, what's, what's the old adage, you know, uh, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. Work really, really hard because it just so happens that those who give themselves to an industrial spirit discover success and they discover blessing. And show kindness along the way. Because it just so happens that those who sow kindness into the lives of others, they discover that that kindness is reaped in their own life as others show kindness to them.